When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and this is our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast and this is part one of our awards edition. So today we are going to hand out Rookie of the Year, Most Improved Player, Most Disappointing Player, and Most Valuable Player. And then on Monday we're going to come back with four more awards. It's the whole crew. It's me, Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Marie, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. We go through the awards, we vote on them, and we pick one winner for every single award. So now uh, I want to make sure you check out Football Insider before you get to the pod. Uh, if you want exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash browns, an exclusive newsletter uh, delivered to your inbox every, every day, written by one of the people you're going to hear on this podcast uh, most days. Or if you want to be a part of our texting subscription, uh, which is a lot of fun, and we have those guys on our podcast sometimes, and we interact with them, they ask us questions, we answer right there. Check out Football Insider, cleveland.com slash browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. And now on to part one of our awards show. Away we go here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the awards edition. Uh, like I said in the intro, we've got the whole crew here. So it's me and Mary Kay, Doug, Scott, Ellis, uh, all ready to hand out some awards. So here's how we're going to do this. Uh, very scientific. Um, we're going to, it's going to sound a little bit like the Picks Pod. Somebody's going to nominate somebody. We're going to kick it around. If somebody wants to nominate somebody else, they can do that. We're giving ourselves about 10 minutes to debate it. At the end of the 10 minutes, we've got to vote. And uh, if we tie, Mary Kay gets to break the tie. So a lot of power in in Mary (laughs) Kay's hands here. Uh, This is going to be the first of two parts. So we're going to do four awards today and then four awards coming out of the weekend on Monday. So we're going to start with the rookie of the year this year for the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, Mary Kay, I know you have tie-breaking power, but we'll let you go first with the nomination here. Uh, who is your rookie of the year? You know, I am going to go with that number 10 pick, Jedrick Bills. Uh, I, I really think that what he was able to do with making that transition from college right tackle to pro left tackle, and really, we did not hear his name a lot throughout the season. And when you're not hearing the name of an offensive lineman, he's doing a really good job. Uh, he graded uh, fairly high in, in, in a number of areas. Uh, I think that Bill Callahan did a great job with him. Uh, he, you know, he was a, a great blindside protector for Baker Mayfield. And I don't think you could have asked much more of him, especially when he had no off season to figure this whole thing out. Scott, who do you have? You know, there was a point in this season where maybe Harrison Bryant was the winner of this, you know, because he was voted most outstanding rookie in camp. And then I think it was the Bengals game where he kind of came alive and had a big breakout game. But, but that was really it. I think this has been Jedrick Wills from the start. I don't know how you could pick anybody else. Um, it just seems like for everything, all the reasons Mary Kay just said, he just, he played the way you wanted your number 10 pick to play. It wasn't perfect. I mean, you know, he had some false starts, but he didn't get Baker killed, <laughs> which is a big thing. He didn't create a situation where Baker was trying to, uh, escape phantom pass rushers because he just assumed they were going to be there. So, you know, it was Jedrick Wills and, you know, not really that nobody else that they drafted offensively was that bad, but Wills was clearly the pick here. Okay. Doug, are you going to play devil's advocate here? Can you? I'm going to shout out the guy that I've been on all year, but first of all, I mean, listen, it's the number 10 pick in the draft. If he's not the rookie of the year for your team, something's <laughs> his problem, especially when the second round pick got hurt. If Grant Delpit would have played all year, the way that I think a lot of us thought he would have played, I think we might've had a competition here because Grant Delpit was going to play a big role, but I will give credit to Donovan Peoples Jones, a sixth round pick forced into a role that nobody anticipated. If you were going by like, what you did compared to your expectation, maybe based on where you were picked, then I think Donovan Peoples-Jones as a sixth rounder would make a case because he did help this team. He really did. He helped this team in certain moments. But Jedrick Wills is the obvious choice here. Ellis, 
you going against us here? So does anyone on this panel want to make a guess as to who the lowest rated Browns offensive starter is like a, a player who has started a game. So, you know, Chris Hubbard can count, Cordero Hodge can count. Does anyone want to take a guess who that may be according to PFF? Harrison Bryant. Nick Harris. Is it Jedrick Wills? Jedrick Wills. <laughs> Don't and, be beholden to the grades, Ellis. Don't be beholden. <laughs> and I'm not disagreeing with this. My pick is also Jedrick Wills. Um, I thought Donovan Peoples-Jones deserved some mention here. Um, we've talked all year just about his ability to step in, Donovan Peoples-Jones, that is, when he just wasn't expected to. A, a random injury would happen, whether it was Cordell Hodge in, in Dallas and then Odell Beckham Jr. against the Bengals. He would step in and, you know, just catch a game-winning touchdown in a game where he wasn't expected to even play, you know. Um, I really, in a rookie, that, that really impressed me. His bar was obviously a lot lower than Jedrick Wills. Like Doug said, if you're the – 10th overall pick and something goes wrong that, that and you're not rookie of the year, it, all eyes are on you. He had a great season, but I just thought that was quite interesting. It, it's more about his run to pass grade differences in what it is. And quite frankly, when you compare the defense to the offense of like how bad the grades are, the lowest grade is what, like 62 where um, defense it drops to the forties. It gets ugly pretty quickly. So really just, he's an incredible, good player on a great offense is what it is. But I just thought that was a, interesting to well, see that. Nick Harris started one game and he is graded lower, right? Nick, oh. Nick Harris had one start. I mean, <laughs> Will's a second. No. Yep. Harris did someone sneak I, in that start. I want to blow up your, your intro there, but he did get one start. God, this isn't got to watch the tape. You can't, you can't do me like that. All right. Say that, say that for the guy to watch the tape. No, you're right. You're right. That, that's, but I was surprised Don he was below Donovan Peoples-Jones. That's that's kind of crazy. Is Donovan Peoples-Jones the clear second? Well, Jacob Phillips talking about PFF grades. The third round pick is a thirty-nine. He's the lowest guy on the defense. It so it's on that defense. It's not Jacob Phillips. Harrison Bryan, I thought did not really do that well, especially in the second half of the year. So I do. I, to me, yeah, it is Donovan Peoples-Jones second. And it, Anybody else want to make, I mean, I guess the case for Harrison Bryant would be he had a good first half of the season. Donovan Peoples-Jones did most of his work in the second half of the season. Neither of them really put together a full season. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, we've got think, some time here. If somebody really wants to make a case for, for Harrison Bryant, or is there a Jordan Elliott fan out there somewhere? <laughs> no, I think we can go to the commercial break and spend more time on something else. This is pretty obvious, I think. Okay, so. So we are, we are unanimous then that Jedrick Wills is, uh, is the rookie of the year here on our awards show. All right. Well, that was, that was easy enough. Um, so let's go to topic award number two, the most improved player. Hopefully we'll get like a, a tiebreaker situation here on this one. Um, Scott, when we get the most disappointing player, most disappointing player, the knives are coming out. Mary Kay is going to have quite a handle, quite a job then. So just wait. <laughs> got get us started it's got to be Wyatt Teller right I mean this is a guy that was you know went through the second half of last season and nobody assumed he was the guy who was just going to be given the job it was always assumed he's going to have to fight for it whether it's you know against Drew Forbes or whether they bring in somebody or, or what and then all of a sudden he blossoms into you know the the top run blocking guard in the league. He had the top PFF grade period for any offensive lineman. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some other people here, but I would, I would think Wyatt Teller is kind of an easy choice. Who's, who's saying somebody other than Wyatt or, or who's, who's on Wyatt right now? Everybody. Is this another, is this going to be another unanimous one? Yeah, I got Wyatt and I've, I've got Wyatt. I, I've been trying to think of who else, uh, you know, rose to the occasion quite like he did. Uh, we all know by now he put on 16 pounds of, of lean mass. Uh, he, he completely transformed his body. He knew he was going to have to come in here and potentially uh, try to stave somebody off for the job. He went out, he worked his tail off, and he transformed himself into one of the best guards in the NFL. And, uh, and I, I keep thinking of that. You guys see that little clip? 
uh, with Tyron, Tyron Matthew, <laughs> where he says <laughs> from NFL films, where he says, he just put me on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sums up the season. It, it's a very entertaining little clip there. Uh, but anyways, it's got to be Wyatt Teller. So I think there's there's something interesting when you think about this Brown season, actually. For the fact that they were not a winning team, they had a lot of good players that kind of did what you thought they would do. There are not a lot of great candidates for this. The Browns didn't go 11-5 and five because they had a bunch of guys have seasons out of nowhere that people didn't expect. This was a team that had talent the year before and underperformed. Right. But I, I don't even know... There's one other guy, this guy goes under the radar a little bit, but I do think he was better this year than he was last year. I think sometimes he gets forgotten and maybe people are overlooking him. Baker Mayfield! Like, is Baker Mayfield not a candidate here? But yeah. but honestly, other than Teller and Mayfield, I don't know where you go, because who else was good that you didn't expect, right? I mean, like, are we going like B.J. Goodson played better in the second half? Are we going like Ronnie Harrison? But a lot of the Browns' success was because they have good players who were good, not because guys popped up out of nowhere. So I still would say Teller, but I do think Baker's a, a, a very good candidate here too. Oh, I, I, do, I do have a name for you. I, I agree with everything Doug just said. I think the one other name we can throw out there is Olivier Vernon. Yes. Only three and a half sacks a year ago, played 10 games. This year plays 13 games, all the way up to nine sacks, um, 51 pressures, I believe. Same as Sheld, uh, Sheldon Richardson, I think, had 51, and Miles Garrett had 10 more with 61 pressures. Uh, and again, injuries have always been, or at least while he was here, um, and really his career, have been what have brought him down. And that's a, how this story is ending, is with more injuries. But if he stays healthy, it was pretty clear that the Browns missed him during that playoff run. And he probably, I'm, I'm just, it's, we'll never know, but I'm curious as to where his name would be in this mix and most improved if he made that splash play in the playoffs or just if he was allowed that moment, but what's bogging down his whole career didn't allow that opportunity either. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up Vernon because he was a guy that I was thinking too, but I think we do need to spend a little more time on this, this Baker Mayfield discussion. This he kind of turned around his career this year in like half a season. I mean, we're not just talking 2019 coming back from that. We're talking an absolute disaster of a game in Pittsburgh. Starts 0 for 5 against Cincinnati. Throws an interception on his first pass of the game. And then from there, it's like, whoa, now all of a sudden we're to a point where it would be a shock if they didn't extend him if he's not the quarterback for the next however many years. So I, I think we need to spend more time on, on Baker. It is, the, it is the quarterback position. I think he falls into a category with some of the guys we talked about uh, on most improved and that he, he grew over the course of the season. He didn't come out slinging and looking great from the start. He had to have that turning point. And that's why I kind of went with Teller over him because Teller was kind of good from the start. But with Baker, he got to a point where he clearly – ended up as a better quarterback than he was last year, but he didn't start out that way. Yeah, I, I, I think a case can be made. I do. I think a case can be made because once the lights came on, they, they really came on. And he was a completely different player in that second half of the season than he was all of last year and the whole entire first half. And it was a delayed reaction, but once he got it, he got it. And, uh, so a strong, strong case can be made for Baker Mayfield here. I agree with that. So what I think is interesting about, or most interesting about this entire Baker Mayfield conversation about most improved is I think it depends on two things. First, what were your expectations going into this season? And then when you ask that question, because first going into this season, uh, I know I shocked Terry Pluto by saying this, but I don't think anyone else was all that surprised when I said, yeah, I anticipate Baker Mayfield having upper 20 touchdowns, flirting with 25 and single-digit interceptions. You know, it's not about being a savant. It's about just looking at the history of quarterbacks in this system, Kirk Cousins being the most recent, and being like, yeah. I mean, Baker has all the arm talent and the skills and the IQ that this is going to – how it's going to play out. So when that was your premise going into the season, and then we go to the Steelers game and the first quarter of the Bengals game – 
now if that's where you start your Baker study, that's how you get into, okay, yeah, he really deserves most improved because that was a low, low moment. And where it finished is night and day. So it's a fascinating conversation, but I think it depends where you get on the on-ramp, if you will. I do think Teller's more of a surprise. Like Teller had never played like this before, right? right? Where Baker had shown it, Baker's the number one pick. He had a good rookie year. I think your level of it, how you view him as most improved, depends on sort of like how out you were on him at his low point. So if you just sort of thought like, listen, man, he's good. He's going through some stuff. He's had a bunch of different coaches, all the stuff we know. He's had an unsettled career. Let him settle in. He'll be fine. Then I think you view it a different way. If you were ever at the point of like, I don't know if he's the guy, then the way he played the second half of the year, I think you might view. So I don't think I ever thought he wouldn't be the guy. So I've it affects my view of something like this, whereas Teller to me was more out of nowhere, where Baker in the end, even though he came a long way, I kind of think like wound up like where I kind of thought he would wind up. So that's why I still would vote Teller. If you take so, uh, out last season and you just look at his rookie year and, and this past year, that's we're not talking about Maker improving. We're just kind of talking about him progressing, I guess. He had to have that year in the middle there, whereas, like you said, Teller was – he just kind of made this huge jump that he'd never, never reached before. I, I know we love good semantics arguments here on, the, on this podcast, but I, I guess part of it, too, is like Teller was a surprise, but it's not most surprising player. It's, it's most improved. True. Now, maybe the argument is Teller kind of went from zero to a hundred, right? And like Scott, you mentioned Baker was really good his rookie year, but this is a guy who threw 35 interceptions in his first two seasons. And it wasn't all last year. He was really bad turning the ball over his rookie year too, through 14 interceptions. Every time he played a good defense his rookie year, he was throwing it to him. He threw eight interceptions this year. Yeah, he was turnover prone in the first half. Yeah. I, I thought, I, I do think there's a real case for Baker. I do too. I do too. I would vote for Baker for this. I'm voting for Baker. Okay. Are, are we going to vote here? Are we ready to vote? There's still time if we want to keep <laughs> going through it. It is. I do think, and semantics, nobody is here to have us debate adjectives. Right. But it's almost <laughs> like, so there's surprising, and then there's like that comeback player of the year kind of thing, which implies that either you were hurt or you sucked before and you're coming back from something so he sort of is coming back from the weird like 2019 year like scott kind of makes the point well if you take out 2019 then there's not as much as much improvement but if you include 2019 there is a lot of improvement so it's not about semantics but i do think in the end they are both teller and mayfield i think equally compelling candidates for the way we have this phrased Mm-hmm. Hey, Dan, I, I, I think you should jot down and we should remember this as a possible podcast topic for the future um, based off what Doug said, like a an exit survey on where you were at with Baker Mayfield at the end of the first quarter in that Bengals game. Like we all can just <laughs> put ourselves back in that moment because I think so. And, and you take you, you're honest, you spit some truth serum because it's a great point. It, I mean, that was such a seismic moment in his process this season. and it'd be fun to see where we all were that truthfully compared to where we're at now, where we're, you know, possibly handing him two awards on this show. Yeah. And it's also how much stock do you put again with Teller in a full season and Baker, we're talking half a season where he showed us right. what, what we yeah. wanted to see. So I guess we're going to find all that out now as we go to a vote. So um, Scott, you're Teller. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sticking with Teller. I'm going to go Baker. Mary Kay, you said you were going to go Baker. Yep. Doug, Ellis might get to play tiebreaker here. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's, it, the question is going to be, can Mary Kay override the vote? Then it's like, it's fine. We voted, but Mary Kay disagrees. Mary Kay is picking. I'm, stick, I'm going to stick with, with Teller barely. Barely. Mm. Okay, well, here we go. Ellis, you get to be our, our swing vote here, I guess. This is a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure because of Doug, you know, it, 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 it comes back to you. It's your fault because of what Doug said about, it depends on where you were at with Baker. I know where I was at after that Bengals first quarter. And I did not anticipate what happened after that. So I'm going Baker Mayfield. Wow. I'm actually a little surprised. By that. 
I, I was, there was never a point this year where Ellis thought that Wyatt Teller should be benched. There was a point where he was ready to bench Baker Mayfield. So if that's your point, then that's a pretty good choice by you. <laughs> or maybe that's maybe that's flawed logic. I don't know. Let the record show I didn't think Baker should be benched. I said it would not surprise me if it happened. That's all. That's all I said. He was benched. He was he was <laughs> he was benched against the Steelers. Hey, thank you, Mary Kay. <laughs> all right. So three to two, a close vote, Baker Mayfield. Uh, one vote ahead of Wyatt Teller, who comes in second place. We couldn't, we couldn't just make the first two awards that easy. We had to throw a wrench into things. It's Should just... somebody tweet at Baker right now and tell him he just got an award from Cleveland.com? Try to lift his <laughs> spirits a little bit. <laughs> and, and that Scott and Doug didn't want to give it to him. <laughs> right, make sure you tag them. Here come the subtweets. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a break here, and then we'll do most disappointing. And then, of course, MVP, which... Should be another fun discussion that involves the guy that we just talked about. Back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with the whole crew here, Scott Patsko, Doug Maurice, Mary Kay Cabot, and Ellis Williams. So we move on to, oh, this should be a fun one. The <laughs> most disappointing player. And again, this is going to be one of those topics, I think, where it comes down to what exactly did you expect out of that guy? Doug said the knives would come out for this one. So Doug... Throw out the first name. So I thought about this a lot and a a lot of it, this is expectations are a huge part of this, right? So there are a lot of things that go into expectations where you were drafted, how much money you make, just how good you've been in the past. So I want to make the point that sometimes if you're so disappointing, you're not here anymore. Like if Chad Thomas was still on this roster, he'd be a candidate for this. He was so disappointing. He's gone. Austin Corbett was so disappointing. They gave him away before he had a chance to win an award like this. So you have to be at least good enough to stick around long enough to be disappointing. (laughs) But I did try to take, for instance, like draft stock into this. And who did you think might, this guy hadn't shown it before, but I thought he might jump up and do something. And I feel like he didn't, he wasn't terrible, but I feel like, Maybe I thought he would really be a big-time contributor to help them win, and I don't think he did that, and I think it affects his standing on this team for next year, and it's Sione Takitaki, who I feel like he's not an every-down linebacker. He missed a huge tackle against the Chiefs that is like you're supposed – that's – you're not a great coverage guy. We're moving. You play about half the time, and then you're going and, like, missing a tackle like that. He's a third-round pick. He's the 80th pick in the draft. I don't think that is an unreasonable thing to think like, okay, like it's your third is what second year. It's second year, right? Not third year. It's your second year. Make a little jump. When you're a linebacker picked in the third round, it isn't that's your pick to to play. And I don't feel like he's an, he's an answer for them at linebacker long-term. He might be in the mix, but maybe I'm putting too much on him, but I was trying to think of guys who I thought could really help this team. And I think he's just a guy. I think he's just a guy. And that was disappointing to me. I didn't expect to hear that name. Um, not because I thought he was great this year. I thought there was some improvement this year, but I yeah, I didn't expect to hear that one. Anybody else have talkie-talkie? Are we going different directions? I, I had him down as a dark horse for most okay. improved, only because he was... Dark rated, horse for most improved? Uh, only because he was rated so high against the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he can do one thing, and he can do one thing really good. But beyond that... I, I totally, I'm totally behind him being uh, among those here for, for biggest disappointment. Scott, you're not crazy because I was thinking about maybe just tossing him into the mix for, for most improved to see what people thought. So it's, it's not a completely crazy thought. Um, okay. So Ellis, who did you have for this? Oh, shoot. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to, sh- I'm not going to go, should we go elsewhere. Yeah, only because I want to say this. I want to say this because I think it's a, a decent jumping off point because this name probably is going to come up somewhere, even though it's not mine, because I want to start a different conversation with my pick. Um, okay. I feel like we're entering a point where the when we look back on this 2019 class, uh, it might be just a, an indictment, quite frankly, of just a, a class you can wipe off the books. I mean, for – and. I'm sensitive what's going on with Greedy Williams. That's out of his control. But at the end of the day, if you're not available, you're not available. So from Greedy Williams to Sony Takitaki, Sheldrick Redwine, Mac Wilson, and Austin Seibert, who isn't even on the team anymore, 
Drew Forbes is also on that list, but you guys get my point. That list pretty quickly becomes like a, like that's, that's just not going to be a part of this team's future going forward. And the reason I thought this was a decent jumping off point is because I'm guessing Mac Wilson is on someone's list. Yeah. And and I I will say just when I thought about it, Taki Taki as a third rounder versus Mac Wilson as a fifth rounder was a big distinction to me. That was why I went the way I did. You know what, though, when you I mean now, PFF isn't everything, but Taki Taki finished 12th in linebacker rankings amongst those with 20% of the snaps, and Mac finished 94th. So I don't, you know, as Scott pointed out, uh, Taki Taki uh, was very, very high in run defense, and this was really his first year. So uh, to get any defensive snaps. So I, I you know, factor that in and, and see what you think with that. Well, I, I, and I think if we're talking about those two, I can sort of envision somewhere where Mac, where, where Sione Taki Taki fits, not as a full-time guy. I can maybe envision him getting some stray snaps here and there though, in a complete defense. I just, I don't know where Mac Wilson fits at this point. And, and maybe we shouldn't have had, real high expectations for Mac Wilson coming into this year, but, but Scott, you raised your hand on Mac too. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he started 14 games last year. He's one of the top uh, players in snaps last year. He got a ton of experience. I know he got injured uh, in camp and that set him back, but they gave him every opportunity to claim a starting spot. I mean, he had a ton of starts this year and it just didn't happen. He just, it was all red and orange grades across the board, just really low. I think he was the third lowest graded defender on this team the Browns really needed somebody with speed and 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 athleticism to kind of take the reins at linebacker and be somebody they could count on for three downs and it seemed like he was a guy that they hoped could do that I mean he had the coverage ability we saw it last year occasionally in the regular season a ton versus in the preseason but clearly that's some that's a reason why he was here and it just never, it just never happened. I mean, Taki Taki's out there intercepting passes, not Mac Wilson. Um, I don't know where he goes in his career at this point. He's still cheap, obviously, but for whatever reason, it just did not happen this year for him. And I didn't expect him to come out and be a Pro Bowl linebacker, but I thought that with the experience that he gained last year, we would see some sort of jump or improvement or flashes that say, all right, that guy can be part of this linebacking group going forward. And I, I just, I'm not sure you can say that about him right now. Mary Kay, who did you have? Well, speaking of Mac Wilson, it just reminds me when I, when I talked to Nick Saban about Mac Wilson after the draft, and he just was like not high on him at all, uh, thought that he came out too early, and he just did not speak of him in glowing terms, which is unusual because college coaches, regardless, usually just praise their guys when you get on the phone and you try to talk to them about, uh, about their players. So uh, that told me something when Nick was, you know, pretty, pretty honest and upfront that, that he thought Mac Wilson had a really long way to go. So uh, I thought about Mac Wilson. I did think about Mac Wilson, but I went with somebody else and it's not because this person called me out on Twitter. It has nothing to do with I knew, that. I knew this name. <laughs> I, I'm telling you right now, this is not personal. Um, my guy is Austin Hooper. I had very, very high expectations for Austin Hooper. Uh, and he ended up with, I mean, now in terms of rankings, he ended up with a number 22 ranking from Pro Football Focus. But from a production standpoint, he caught 46 passes for 435 yards and four TDs, but he also had five drops. The five drops really bothered me. Uh, that That's just unacceptable uh, when when you weigh that again, you know, percentage-wise against the, the catches that he had. Uh, and then when you look at his production, when you go back to uh, David Njoku uh, in 2018, he had 56 catches for 639 yards and four TDs. So if I can get that out of David Njoku, why do I need to pay this guy $10.5 million a year for 46 catches? I can get 46 catches 
from a much, 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 much cheaper tight end. So if he doesn't come through next year with, uh, with way more production than that, that's not worth $10.5 million a year to me. Doug, before, before you go here, I want to just point out that five drops is kind of jarring because the reality is if that had been David Njoku with five drops, we'd just be absolutely destroying him on, on this podcast. But Doug, go ahead. Really good point. But do we feel like his production wasn't higher because of him? Or because now part of it is in 2018. I mean, this they, they didn't have as many dudes to kind of do stuff with, right? So there were more opportunities. Where the, did uh, did Hooper not get open? Did Hooper and part of what he did in Atlanta, they schemed that for him, right? That he, I think, if you were going to hold him to his Atlanta numbers, and you didn't mention his Atlanta numbers, uh, Mary Kay, but the, the salary is a good point. But I don't know. I did. Why why weren't his numbers bigger? Is it only on him? No, I mean it, it's. I mean, I think it's a function of that. Baker Mayfield and Austin Hooper, they just didn't have the chemistry right from the start. You could tell that balls were going off his, his fingertips. Uh, those guys, they weren't, they weren't connecting in, in the beginning. Uh, they, they were off and it looked, it almost looked to me like an Odell Beckham jr. Baker Mayfield thing where they just, they just didn't have time on task together. And sometimes once again, when you spend a lot of time with another quarterback, Sometimes it is a little tricky to make the transition. Now, some guys are fine with it. I mean, Stefan Diggs was totally fine with making a transition to the Bills this year. I mean, there, there was not an issue at all. Time on task didn't matter. No offseason, you know, same as a lot of other people go through. But Austin Hooper and Baker Mayfield, they didn't really connect very well. And I, I don't know whose fault it was, uh, per se, in the beginning, but that coupled with the five drops. And I just think that if, if he had been playing a little better or maybe was where he was supposed to be or not dropping passes that he would have had more targets, more receptions, more yards, more touchdowns. And I'm telling you right now, 16 yards against the chiefs from your 10 and a half million dollar tight end compared to what Travis Kelsey had for the chiefs. It's just, if you're not getting much more out of him than that for your ten and a half million dollars, then I think something's wrong. So he's got to pick that up next year or the money's not worth it to me. Ellis, is, is that who you had? It, it isn't. Um, I want to add to this Hooper thing real quickly and also ask Scott just to weigh in because, you know, I got to watch the tape. You, you dove into the, this tight end situation quite a bit. Um, we've kind of talked myself into doing an Austin Hooper deep dive here because Mary Kay brings up a lot of accurate and good points. I think the first four games of next year, probably eight are going to be just huge in really solidifying if this is going to go down as actually a miss for the signing of Austin Hooper is going to go down as a miss for Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, because what that, what, what Mary Kay brought up and specifically the stat line against Kansas city two catches, 16 yards, a long of 11, tell me is he's just not an athletic game-breaking tight end and that his production in Atlanta was more volume-based. And now we're talking, comparing targets and, and whatnot. But my point is Atlanta has been known to be a more pass-happy offense and the Browns all season were you know 25th or lower in pass attempts despite having a great DVOA. They passed less to you know, have their yards mean more when they did execute that. So to me, I'm wondering if this is starting to become an indictment overall on just Austin Hooper's first lack of uh, regression, I'll say. Like he didn't become a better athlete this year. And then he really was just a zone beating tight end, which was what was written about him and what the tape showed when they brought him in here during the off season. So we are at a really interesting point in Hooper's career. And I think it's a great point Mary Kay brings up. Go ahead, Scott. I, I think this, this is kind of tied a lot to the contract, like Mary Kay said. I, right. I found it hard to consider anybody on offense for this category because of how this offense is and the fact that there were a lot of people at multiple positions who were not going to have the kind of numbers they had previously had. And Austin Hooper was going to be one of those. Um, even though they have tight ends on the field a lot, 
the Browns led the league in like 13 personnel this year. Um, and that's not something that the Stefanski did last year with the Vikings. So that, that was a change. He was out there a ton. Um, I mean, he was second in targets. I know you can come away thinking that, all right, they had a lot of talent in the backfield, but Chubb kind of obviously stood out there. You know, why didn't Hooper stand out that way among the tight ends? And, and that's a, an argument I think that could be made, but um, for me, it was hard to pick anybody on offense for this, just because of the nature of the way the scheme is set up and how Stefanski does things. Just to throw this, not to defend Austin Hooper, he also missed three games. So if we're going by like totals of targets or production or whatever, he missed three games. Now, maybe you factor that in. He was hurt. So he missed a couple, you know, he, he only played 13 games. Um, but also, and again, the perception matters. You know, he got a contract, I think, that sort of maybe caused him to be lumped financially with the Kelseys and the Kittles and the Darren Wallers or whatever. But he's not that. I mean, he never, they overpaid to get a tight end because they wanted a tight end for Kevin Stefanski. And so he was never a $10.5 million tight end. He's like an $8 million tight end that they had to pay a premium on to get him here. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't factor that into this to this discussion, Mary Kay. So, like, it is what it is. You're paying him that money. Is he worth it? Which is the kind of thing we said about Odell. Odell's a great player, but you're paying him that much money with the way that they use him. Is he worth it, right? This is a very similar, and you mentioned the kind of thing with Baker and Odell before. There are some similarities here, I think, to he's a good player. But if the production isn't there and they aren't using him kind of in a way to justify the salary, then, like, what are we doing here? Right. Yeah, it's it's not Austin. It's not Austin Hooper's fault. The Browns paid him all that money. <laughs> That's for sure. Thirty percent of his targets came in two games: the Jets wow. and the and the Steelers playoff game. Twenty five targets. Those two. Okay. Games. Okay. Ellis had a name for us. We, we've gone a little long here, Ellis. If you yeah, want to add to the Hooper thing, go ahead. But we, we got to hear your name because it sounded like your name was going to cause a little. What uh, was going to cause some ripples here too. Yeah, I think Scott makes a great point that probably no one on offense should be on this list considering the year they had. And you can just look at the PFF grades like you just see a lot of, you know, dark blue, which is really good and the greens and the light greens on offense. And it ends there. And on defense, you see a whole lot of orange and red. And everyone listening to this podcast and you guys, of course, too, know how I feel about this player. But I think for the point of conversation and just he's worthy of the award, I think it's Odell Beckham Jr., this has been a turbulent, turbulent one and a half seasons, two years, whatever you want to call it. And for it to end the way it did is just a disappointment in itself. I mean, to, you know, to have him tear his ACL on a play that the ball was targeted for him and everything going on before that coming off the Dallas game, the hope of that, you know, now we're dealing with some dramatic rising and falling action here, you know, bear with me. <laughs> that is just bakes into the overall disappointment of what, number 13 wearing a Cleveland Brown jersey coming from the Empire State, New York, and being in Cleveland, all those hopes. I wasn't even here for those hopes, and it still reached Minnesota, just the craze that was going on here for Odell Beckham Jr. to be a Brown. And for it to be where it's at right now, for us to question if he's even going to be here next year, and if this if this all does happen again next year, and it works out the same way, it's, and then it's like, where are the Browns at with this? You know, we're three seasons of just – lackluster Odell Beckham production and talking about the connection between Baker Mayfield and him, it just continues to be a disappointment. Thus most disappointing player of the year award. Oh. Right, so. <laughs> well, and, but I, you guys know how I feel about Odell. I, this is guy while of... he's kick a guy while he's trying to come back from an <laughs> no. I, you know what? I mean, I, I, I have to say they don't make the playoffs without him. They do not make the playoffs without Odell Beckham Jr. This year. They were on the outside looking in. There's no way they win that Dallas game. He caught a 43-yard touchdown pass against the Bengals. Proved to be the difference in, in that game. You know, they, they win nine, potentially nine or ten games uh, without him. And, and, they're, and they're not in the playoffs. So I, I think especially that Dallas game alone shows what he – was capable of doing this year, how much heart and soul he was putting into this season. And I think that once the lights came on for Baker Mayfield, I, I just have to believe that Odell would have been a beneficiary of that in this system. I, I think I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think those two would have done a lot of good stuff together.
Mary Kay, we've talked about that, you and I, before on this podcast often. I completely agree with you. And to me, that adds to the disappointment. Like, not only was it a disappointment of how it ended, but then for him not to be there for when it got good and no one being able to see what that could have been, that, to me, adds to the disappointment. Yeah, I guess it's semantics, you know. Exactly. That's what it is, right? Yeah, Odell, Odell the situation versus yeah. Odell the player. Exactly. You know, there's a difference he there. The disappointment, but the situation. The like his, happened, his disappointment isn't the same as Mac Wilson's. You know, Mac's much more responsible for his. That right. just the whole everything surrounding this is disappointment when it lands on. So I, I, I see both sides of this, but to me, if we're gonna say, if we're gonna factor in the ACL and him not being there then that just opens up the can of worms. And now we got to talk about Greedy Williams. And I, I just don't, Fair. I don't know. I, 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 no, I don't want to say a guy was disappointing. Yep. And, and obviously, Ellis, you're talking about more than just the injury. But I just, to me, the injury with Odell is just too, it's too big and it's too, it came too early in the season for me to call him just as a player, uh, yep. a disappointment. Doug? No, I just want to check. Ellis's Twitter handle again when I tag OBJ and <laughs> Ellis and say that Ellis voted OBJ most disappointing player. I want to make sure I get it right. <laughs> At book All, right. <laughs> All right. So we've got, I mean, we threw out a whole bunch of names. Okay. So we got Hooper, we've got Mac Wilson, Taki Taki, Odell. Uh, and then I, I was going to go with Wilson as, as mine too. So I guess we got to put this to a vote here. And this is going to be, this might be one of those ones where Mary Kay has to break like a two to two to one tie <laughs> or something. Um, Can I take, let me make one more quick point about Taki Taki versus Wilson. Just, I think it's important again, their draft Taki Taki was the ninth linebacker taken. Wilson was the 20th linebacker taken. I think a lot of the times here we have lumped the two of them together. They are not the same. They were not picked in the same way. Mac Wilson's a flyer. If a fifth round pick doesn't work out and is not a starter, like what's the surprise there? What's disappointing about that? Your fifth round pick's not a starting linebacker. This guy was the 80th pick in the draft. That's a starter pick. And he's not playing like one. So I just wanted to make that point. I don't want to be beholden to the draft slot entirely, but I think we had a skewed view of Mac Wilson. Mary Kay made a great point. His, his college coach didn't like him from the jump. I think we overrated Mac Wilson last year. I'm not surprised that he's this, but Taki Taki, I thought had something. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, let's vote it up. I am going to, I'm actually going to switch my vote. Um, I just, you know what? I get, I, like I said, it's not his fault that they paid him all that money, but if you're getting paid all that money, I, I need to see you making a big, big time difference out there in, in the passing game, which I, I didn't see from Austin Hooper. So I'll put, I'll vote for him. Scott, I'm switching my uh, my pick to Odell. Ellis convinced me, um, and I think, I mean, all awards are subjective, so I'm <laughs> going to make my own little uh, little criteria here. I think again, it's more like the Odell situation. The fact that he had all off season, he came in. You know, I know everything was weird this year, but you know, it it was this was the year when they were going to they were going to kind of work on that chemistry and they were going to have it just never really materialized. He caught 53% of his passes, which the only guys lower than that on the Browns are Marvin Hall, Jamarcus Bradley, Andy Janovich. I mean, that's, it just didn't work. And, and the fact that you didn't even get a whole season to see if, if things would improve, like so much of the other things in the offense improved. Um, so I'm going with Odell. I think Ellis. That was, that was bad Baker. He, he was only there for bad Baker. He was only around for bad, but he didn't get to be around for good Baker. So how, how many, what was the percentage of receptions for other guys in bad Baker time? You know what I mean? Like I, we'd have to go back. I mean, he had some good, he, I mean, he, he had, a good completion percentage against, you know, the, the Bengals in Washington early on in the season, you know, Baker had some pretty solid games, not spectacular, but early on when they were going through that four game winning streak, he was playing well enough for them to have a four game winning streak. And just that connection and what I think what everybody wanted to see and whatever I expected to see uh, happen with Odell just never materialized. And even though he does other things away from the ball, which we've talked about on podcasts before, it just, that's not why you signed Odell, you know, you, you signed him to make big catches and score touchdowns. And other than that Dallas game, other than a big catch against the Bengals, it was pretty lean 
Well, Mary Kay, have you been convinced or are you sticking with Hooper? Oh, I'm sticking with Hooper for okay. sure. Doug? Again, nothing personal. <laughs> yeah, I'm sticking with Taki Taki. I just think if you're going to be a good team, you have to hit on some of these picks on second and third rounders and turn them into players that matter. And like it, it matters if that third round pick doesn't become a player that you can rely on. So I thought this was a chance. And, and, and some of these other people, a lot of the other candidates, you know, I understand the Hooper vote. I think he's a pretty good player. And for whatever reason, I mean, they didn't throw him the ball as much as they used to throw him. There was linebacker opportunities galore. They didn't have anybody. Go take a job and seize it and say, you can't take me off the field. Third round pick. I'm a third round pick. I'm your guy. Didn't happen. Are you convinced me? I'm going back to Meg Wilson now. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to stay Odell. I'm going to stay Odell. Ellis? So I was going to change my vote because I didn't think anyone would side with me. But now that I got Scott over here, I'm going to hold me Right? I'm going to hold the line with Scott and keep Odell where he's at. This is okay. a gotta watch this. No, no, no. This is a gotta watch the tape thing. You guys, this was a, <laughs> I know, I see, Conspiracy. I see what you're doing here. I see. Well, don't lump me in there, Mary Kay. I'm with you guys. <laughs> yeah, we, well, knew, we knew Doug wasn't changing his vote. Here's what we've got, though. We've got that elusive 2-2-1 two, two, tie. So, jeez. Oh, Mary Kay, you got to well, name it. Just All right, but did, did Austin Hooper win any games for the did, – did you walk out of a game this year and say, dang, Austin Hooper won that game for the Cleveland Browns this year? Nope. Nope. Okay. I got to go with Austin Hooper because I walked out of at least two games this year saying without Odell, they, didn't win, they don't win that game. All right. That's fair. That's good. We spent a lot of time on that one. <laughs> That's what happens when you have like five different candidates thrown out there. Here's a good one, though. We're going to end on a high note. The MVP of the 2020 Cleveland Browns. Um, there are a, a number of candidates here, so I'm curious to see where this goes. So, uh, Ellis, why don't you kick us off this time? So, coaches aren't eligible, right? No. Players only. Glad we got that out of the way. I think we all know who I would pick there. So I have Baker Mayfield written down. And in a way that I can declare him an extension of Kevin Stefanski or Alex M. Pelt and crown him the MVP as a product of an incredible coaching staff with an attention to detail that was clearly lacking a year ago, who helped transform Baker Mayfield into a groomed conditioned product that made clear is capable of winning a playoff game and threatening for a division title. Taking that next jump is something I think we'll talk about all off season, but this was the point the Browns fans in any organization hopes to get to flirt with the division title, make the playoffs, win a playoff game. That's where every franchise wants to be in that stratosphere where you can then make that jump to Super Bowl champion. And through the coaching of Kevin Spansky, Alex and in this entire regime, Baker Mayfield's, strongest traits were brought to the forefront and single digit interceptions 20 what six touchdowns 21 of those came in the red zone it, the yardage is what it is I, that wasn't how this team moved the ball downfield anyway to me it was his red zone execution where that becomes off it, it's taken off the coach's plate like I understand that Kevin Stefanski designs all the plays and puts in the motions but for Baker Mayfield to absorb all that, execute it on the field, be the commander of all of those motions and organizing the offense and have the Browns score at the clip they did. I mean, he had multiple three touchdown games, that five touchdown game. That's putting the ball in the end zone, which is ultimately the goal of this sport. So again, as the coaching staff being an extension to him, he still deserves a ton of credit for going on the field, executing, becoming a, a, a read thrower, a second and third read thrower, his scrambling ability now, you know, I didn't, I never used to think he was all that athletic, but he's become a quick processor of winter run, which makes him athletic enough to pick up those first downs. And he became the unquestioned leader of the football team. And we sit here and talk X's and O's all the time, but we don't sometimes give enough credit to what that leadership really means inside that locker room. So for all those reasons, he's the MVP. Okay. So I didn't choose Baker. Who else had Baker on the list? Who wants to join Ellis in making the case? Mary Kay. I had Baker uh, after that fateful pick 
in Cincinnati that cost them Odell Beckham Jr. for the rest of the season. The lights went on then. The lights went on then for Baker, and that, and that was it. He he set aside throwing picks for the most part, and from that moment on, he threw 20 touchdown passes and only two interceptions the rest of the whole entire season. And some mm. people will argue that that's because they no longer had Odell Beckham Jr. on the field. We can debate that, and maybe someday we will debate that for uh, a whole 40 minutes. But he he got really, really good, really accurate, and he completely cut down on those interceptions. And there's no way in heck they're in the playoffs if he doesn't do that. Cutting down on the interceptions made the difference in the season, led to the 11-5 and record, got them to the AFC Divisional game, and uh, and he was, you know, I mean, that, that, that was it. I mean, just figuring out how not to throw the ball to the other team was absolutely enormous. And, and Ellis, you mentioned a number of other things. You know, you're right. We, none of us ever, you know, like think of him as a mobile quarterback, but he's a very mobile quarterback. I mean, he, he just is. Ever since he uh, rolled into the end zone to take the, uh, the photo of Richard Higgins, <laughs> you know, and, and Richard said that was the most athletic move that he's ever seen. He was just athletic after that. Um, but no, he, he really, um, he's really amazing in that way. I mean, he's just, he's very shifty and quick and agile and he can get away from trouble. And he, it always surprises me how he's able to do that, but I shouldn't be surprised anymore because he can consistently do that. So, um, you know, just everything. His accuracy got really good. His confidence came back. Red zone, like you said, just lights out in the red zone. And as, when I talked to Case Keenum, he talked about just, just his physical skill set and his arm strength and his accuracy that he's built for the red zone. And I think that that proved to be true. Okay. And Anybody? One, one more thing real quick. I thought he did his job for the most part against the chiefs. I thought other people didn't necessarily do the job that they needed to do, but I thought for the most part, he did his job. Okay. Anybody else want to join the, the Baker? I don't know what to call it here. The case for Baker. No. Okay. So I, I had, I had Baker too. And okay. I mean, they, they both laid it out pretty, pretty well there. And I, I'm going to go further and say, even though we talk a lot about how he played over the second half of the season, he did have, important moments in the first half. Uh, I mean, I know he, he looked really bad in the second half of that Colts game, but remember the first half, he was lights out and he had uh, big games against Cowboys in Washington and he made plays against the Bengals. And I think, I mean, it's, it's easy to say that obviously they wouldn't be in the playoffs without that, that run that he had over the second half of the season. He was like the fourth, he had the fourth highest passing grade of, of any quarterback uh, over the second half of the season. So uh, it just seems like an easy choice to me uh, from the side of the fact that he's, even though I, even though I wrote a story early on in the season about how Wyatt Teller was the offensive MVP, um, I'm still going with Baker in this. All right, Doug, I'm curious if you have the same guy I do. I have a very persuasive case, and maybe we do have the same guy. Which side of the ball was better for the Browns, offense or defense? Offense, right? They had two first-team All-Pros, one on defense and one on offense. Jack Conklin is arguably the best guy in the league at his position. He came in at right tackle and played a position where it was a big problem last year. And I think if they don't have Jack Conklin, I think they might be a very different team this year. I thought a huge chunk of why they struggled on offense last year was because their tackles stunk and it screwed with Baker's head. Jack Conklin is as good at his job as anybody in the league. Now, if we're just going to pick the quarterback, we can pick the quarterback. I get it, of course. But Baker Mayfield is not one of the what? And we got to do this draft. I'm dying to do this draft where oh, we wait, draft wait, wait. him. We figure out where Baker Mayfield sits in the league. He's not the best quarterback. He's not one of the top five quarterbacks. Jack Conklin's one of the best. He might be the best right tackle. He's first team all pro. So the offensive line was the key to this team. He has a really good, Wyatt Teller, by the way, great run blocker. He screwed up in pass block against Kansas City in a way that killed them at the end of the game. He is a very, as good as he is, he is much better at one thing than he is at the other. 
Conklin grades out really well as a pass blocker and a run blocker. If you want to say Joel Petonio instead of Conklin, I get it. Tackles a little more important than guard. If you want to pick the whole offensive line, well, that's cheating. You can't do that. The offensive line is why this team worked. So I'm going to take the first team all pro on the offensive line, who, by the way, plays a very important position at right tackle and was worth every penny. Unlike the case that Mary, unlike the case that Mary Kay made about Austin Hooper, was worth every penny they spent on him in the offseason. I think Jack Conklin has a very strong case for a thing like that. If you can get past like the quarterback thing, because you know, no off, no right tackle is going to be the NFL MVP. We get it. But if you talk about doing your job and how important your job is, I think Jack Conklin is a very strong candidate. Wow. I didn't expect to hear the case for Jack Conklin. That was not. Can I, can I say something real quick, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. We could have used Doug on that um, podcast, the position reviews when we did the fan poll, because when we, when we did that, I don't yeah. think Conklin were in the, what well, was the insiders or whatever it was. Uh, I don't think the insiders had Conklin in the top three or four most important linemen. And I think my jaw kind of dropped on that pie. Just, it just didn't make sense to me. And it's for everything Doug just laid out. Uh, Conklin is, probably the best at what he does in the league in the world. And this offensive line is the reason probably this, yeah, yeah, you know, tied with Kevin Stefanski for why I think they were so successful. It's a, it's a great case and Conklin deserves that sort of love. So I'm glad you did it, Doug. So, yeah. um, You forget about offensive linemen, right? That, that means they're doing their job. You forget about them, but come on, nobody is going to make the case for miles Garrett. I knew somebody would. There you go, Dan. My, Doug, when you talk about how great the offensive side of the ball is, there's literally two players on the defense. And when Ronnie Harrison's on, there's three. So to me, Miles Garrett, with not very much help, you know, Olivier Vernon showed up in the second half and, and offered some. Miles Garrett was going to win defensive player of the year or come really, really close to it before he got hit with COVID. And you'd talk about guys winning them games, strip sacks and uh, pressuring the quarterback and, and all the things Miles Garrett does for this football team. Uh, I'm, I, this is a guy that got paid a bunch of money and somehow every single year he just keeps getting better. Like the, the rest of the league should be absolutely terrified of, of what Miles Garrett is going to be next year because he just gets better and better every single year dealing with double teams all the time, uh, chips you know, triple teams at times, sometimes a, a tackle gets them and then a running back tight end. Uh, to me, Miles Garrett, the best player on the defense, maybe the best player on, on the entire team. Uh, I'm, I'm going Miles Garrett MVP. Part of that is because I voted him for player of the year in our PFWA award. So I got to at least stick with him here too for, for MVP. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, you, you can't go wrong picking the quarterback. I certainly understand the argument there and the way he played, but I think Miles Garrett, Right up until I'd love to be able to say game one through 16, but right up until he got hit with COVID, he was the best player on the field for this football team. Yeah. Dan, I, I agree with everything you said. And spoiler alert, he's going to be my pick for MVP when we do this pod next year. I think he has a, a shot to get that Brown sack record. I think he'll flirt with Michael Strahan's 22 and a half record at some point. He is that dude. And it's for exactly what you just said. You're going to be able to be able to say games one through 16 with Miles Garrett very soon. And I think that'll be next year. I can't ignore the but, which is he wasn't quite the same player after COVID. And I, I mean, he would admit that. Everybody would admit that. I mean, the way that he was winning games, the way the first four games of the year, he just wasn't quite that player at the end. And so that factored into my decision. I don't disagree with anything you said, Dan, but I can't. It's not his fault. Of course. I mean, my gosh, he's proof. If anybody doubts how serious COVID is, Miles Garrett is proof of it. He is as finely tuned of a human being as you can be. And it hit him hard and it lingered with him. And so that's why I didn't pick him. I mean, offense, defense, a little bit too, but you know, you just, and not that PFF grades are everything, but I mean, he was over 90, like three of the first four games of the year. He was over 84, three of the first four games of the year. And like the last six games of the year, he didn't grade higher than 77. And like, he just was not quite the same force. He wasn't that strip sack force in the second half of the year. He wasn't the first half of the year. And unfortunately, 
I, I had to take that into consideration at least a little bit. You know what? I did the same thing, Doug. I, you know, I couldn't help it. I, I, you know, you feel bad even saying it because you know why he wasn't the same player, as you mentioned, it was absolutely 100% because of COVID, but he went the like an eight game stretch where he did not force a fumble. It might've even be long, been longer than that. Uh, he completely tailed off in making those game changing plays uh, he really struggled to get to the quarterback. Uh, he just, you know, he did the best he possibly could out there uh, when he came back from, from COVID. We all know that he was struggling in that Kansas City game. He had a torn oblique. He would not have played if they had advanced, I believe. He would not have played uh, in the AFC championship game. That's how bad that was. So that, as you mentioned- That being said, but that being said, he should have had the play that got the Browns the ball back against Kansas City. He forced that third and 14. That should have been the, that, that sack that right. he had, even with us struggling with that oblique, sets up a third and 14. Yeah, and think, the Browns should have gotten the ball back. I think uh, healthy Miles probably stops that scramble too, and that's, that's another discussion as well. Right, right. There's a perfect opportunity to say Adrian Claiborne was an uh, honorary mention for most disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> that that third and 14 is on him, but continue, Mary Kay, I'll digress. So the last nine games of the season, he did not force a fumble. The last nine games of the season. And that, you know, th those, you know, those first four fumbles, those first four strip sacks that he had when he was leading the league in that category. I mean, it just seemed like he was off to the races and that he was unstoppable and he was dominant. And who knows, he, he probably would have been all of those things had he not been hit with COVID. But he just, again, he just wasn't the same player afterwards. And, uh, and it, it's a shame. It's a shame. He ended up, I think he had, was it, oh, it was actually, it was, it was three and a half sacks in his, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games back. So, I mean, he just really dropped off in, in every way. And I think that's where, you know, Baker at the same time really picked up the momentum and stopped throwing the picks and was throwing in throwing touchdowns and came alive at the end. So I think that that influenced my decision. Browns won both games. He missed, Would they have met, would they have won two games without, without Baker I don't, I don't know if, that, if that's uh, an end of the argument or not but one thing I do want to uh, point out about Conklin uh, the one game he didn't start Chris Hubbard started he graded 73.6 overall he had his like best pass blocking grade I think of his career was that for the Colts that was against the, the Bengals okay so I knew somebody was going to bring that up I, I didn't mention it on Jack purpose Conklin's just like a system right tackle and it doesn't matter if <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know but by the way, of, of the candidate played well there. Is Chris Hubbard your MVP? Of the of the of the three candidates that we have mentioned, the only one who played well the whole year was Jack Conklin, which you guys admitted in the cases you made for your players. Baker Mayfield. No, I, I said Baker Baker had a lot of good moments in the first half of the season. So uh, in terms of steadiness at a high level, I think Conklin yeah. kept that. You know what? Yeah. I mean a case can make be made. You make a really, really good case for, for Jack Conklin. Doug, I just feel like, I don't know, in terms of value and, and we're talking most valuable player, I just keep seeing Baker throwing touchdown passes and nailing it in the red zone and just down the stretch, getting them where they needed to be. And All right. so that says the MVP. All right. We got to vote for this because we've already, I, I think we lit, I think we just created the right tackle and defensive end win stat. So we, we got to vote on this before we start, before we start like left guard win stats and, and all of that stuff. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think we know the votes, but let's just go through them. Let's get them on the record. I'm with Miles, Scott. Uh, Baker. Mary Kay. Baker. Doug, you sticking with Conklin? I am. Ellis. Baker. Okay. There we go. Baker is the, uh, the MVP of the 2020 Cleveland Browns. Welcome to life with a quarterback. Cleveland Browns fans. <laughs> Welcome to life with like six MVP candidates. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Hey, you know, it'd be fun to have all you guys do this 
do like an MVP or a award show for a like a rewatchable type thing. Like look back in like 2015 and have you guys, since you guys were all here, pick do awards and see see what kind of names you come up with. I mean. I'll- I mean, this guy also missed time and maybe wasn't as great at the end of the year, but Nick Chubb didn't get mentioned. Joel Petonio right. didn't yeah. get mentioned. I thought a guy that would get mentioned for all his contributions, Jarvis Landry didn't get mentioned. I mean, if you talk about most valuable, take a guy off the team, everything he means on and off the field, Jarvis Landry, like, again, if you went backwards, 18 of the previous 20 years, a Jarvis Landry type player would have been the MVP of this team because they wouldn't have had anybody else. So again, we're talking about a team that has four, five, six, seven players who play at a really high level and that seem in their own ways indispensable to this team's success. Hey, JC Treader figured out how to play football during a global pandemic. So <laughs> maybe JC Treader deserves some, uh, some discussion here just for his work. I, I can make a cream hunt case. He led the team in receiving touchdowns. I can make a cream hunt case now. Oh, see, oh, it's making a cream hunt case. I like it. <laughs> Change my vote. All right. Uh, That's going to do it for the first of two uh, award pods. Now, we've got some fun ones coming up on our Monday podcast. Uh, Let me run through those for you as soon as I find the email that I sent to you guys earlier today with that list. Uh, We're going to do the most likely player to break out in 2021, the assistant coach of the year, the play of the year, and the game of the year. So we're going to have some fun awards coming your way on Monday when we do part two of our, uh, of our awards pods. So uh, make sure you're subscribed to our orange and brown talk feed. So you can get that as soon as it drops, make sure you're a football insider subscriber, uh, go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click on the blue banner at the top of the page. So for Scott and Doug Ellis, Mary Kay, I am Dan. Uh, we'll be back with more awards on Monday.